Thanks for listening to this Small Town Theologian special. This bonus content comes from other Reformed pastors, theologians, and servants of Christ who have valuable thoughts to offer you. You may not recognize their names or ministries, but these faithful servants have good things to say for your comfort. Give their words careful thought, and may your life be shaped by what you learn. On Thursday, December 8, I had the privilege of speaking to around 20 pastors at the Ephrata Ministerial Meeting. My friend, Pastor Chris Smeltz from Victory Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, kindly extended me an invitation to speak, and it was a great honor to do so. I wanted to encourage my brother pastors. I thought I would encourage them in their preaching ministry. According to my limited assessment, the state of preaching in the United States is not good, and pastors need encouragement to faithfully declare the whole counsel of God. We need a resurgence of law and gospel preaching for the comfort of Christians in the U.S. If you take a quick glance at the recent 2022 State of Theology survey from Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, you'll see that the theology of evangelical Christians in the United States is deeply concerning. This is due in large part to distracted, unsound, and deficient preaching in pulpits all across the U.S. We need courageous preachers who are ready, willing, and filled with the Spirit to speak plainly about God's law and gospel in a way that's consistent with the historic testimony of the church and the tenets of the Reformation. The following is my address, and I hope it encourages you. If you're a pastor, I hope it heartens you to be faithful in Christ's pulpit, to give your congregation the law and gospel for their comfort. If you're not a pastor, I hope it helps you better discern how your pastor ought to preach every week and also helps you know how to encourage your pastor. How many preachers do you know? Would any of them be encouraged by this message? If so, please pass it along with some words of love for those preachers. Enjoy, and may the Lord bring reformation to the pulpits of the United States for His glory and the good of His church. I usually like to have guests for these specials. However, today, this one is from me. I hope it profits you. Well, I'd like to read... Um two passages of scripture for you and then pray and then uh, share share some things some encouragements with you so the first is acts 10 uh, 34 through 43 so peter opened his mouth and said truly i understand that god shows no partiality but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives 
forgiveness of sins through his name. And then the second passage that I would like to read for you is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I pray for my brother pastors here that you will encourage them in the ministry. Uh, preaching, the task of preaching which you have called us to is hard work and sometimes very discouraging and daunting work. So Father, would you give us your grace, uh, give us your spirit that we could be faithful in the pulpit and that we could preach what it is you want us to preach preach the word of christ for the comfort of our listeners and that you would save sinners from their sins and give them the forgiveness of sin and give them joy in the lord jesus christ and so in his name i pray and we pray together amen uh, 18 cancer patients from Memorial Sloan Kettering took a, a drug named Gemperly uh, on a six-month trial, and the results were actually unparalleled. It stunned scientists uh, of how well this trial went. The tumors of all of the 18 patients that took it all vanished. So a 100% success rate for this, this drug, unheard of. So let's say that I, I brought with me a case of Gemperly today, and uh, 10, 10 millimeters of this drug is 11,000, over $11,000. So expensive. And let's say I have enough for all of you to take it. And let's say that I insist, passionately insist that you take Gemperly, this drug, right now. You need to take it. And I mean, I'm really urgent. I came to urge you to take this drug. And I push you hard. You won't take it, right? You're not going to take it because... Um, if, if, if I earn, actually, you, you don't need it. So if I urged you uh, strongly enough, and if I spent my time here urging you long enough, uh, you might even get upset at me. You know, man, who do you think you are? What do you walk in here to, to uh, talk about a cancer drug? I don't need it. Why are you urging me so, so much? But if you had cancer, and if you were feeling really sick and you were here, uh, your response to Gemperly would be, completely different. You would be glad, you would take it, you would be really, really thankful. What makes the difference? Cancer. Uh, cancer makes a difference. The gospel of a crucified and risen Christ is irrelevant to self-righteous people, to people who think that they're essentially good. In fact, the gospel offends self-righteous people. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came as the physician for soul-sick sinners. 
self-righteous people. They love to hear that Jesus loves them just as they are, that Jesus will bless them with health and wealth and prosperity and a comfortable life. Self-righteous people love a Jesus like the genie in Aladdin. But self-righteous people do not want to hear the law, which exposes their sin and misery. And they also don't want to hear about a crucified and risen Christ. Uh, who they desperately need to rescue them from their sin and misery. And yet that's exactly what they need to hear. Faithful preaching, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. Dear brothers, dear brothers, I want to encourage you this morning to be faithful in your preaching and to be faithful in your shepherding ministry. As a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully preach the law and gospel for the comfort of your flock and for yourself. As you depend upon Christ and receive God's mercy and grace through faith, God will give you courage. God will give you wisdom. God will give you gentleness. God will give you strength. God will give you boldness to be faithful to preach the law and the gospel from your pulpit. And for those of you who are not preachers, okay, and that you're here, this is what you need. And this is what you should expect in your, uh, from your shepherds. The father sent his son to preach the law and gospel for the comfort of those who believe him. John 3, 16, it's comforting. We need this message. God lovingly and he graciously gave his only begotten son to achieve and to grant eternal life to those who believe in him. 1 John 4, 9 teaches us that God is love and God's love was made manifest when God sent his only son into the world. There's an unbreakable link then between God lovingly sending his son as salvation and God sending his son to preach. Uh, the early chapters of Matthew, I'm preaching through Matthew now at our church. In the early chapters, they give vital and comforting truth about Jesus the Christ. And we find out that they named Jesus, Jesus, precisely because he will save his people from their sins. And in chapter four, verse 17, Matthew mentions the preaching ministry of Jesus for the first time. And I think it's interesting what he, what he says. What, what did Matthew say? From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Mark records Jesus saying it this way, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's law and gospel preaching. Uh, repent assumes a moral law, which defines sin, defines what ought to be repented of. And the coming of the king, the coming of his dominion and his reign and his rule is gospel. That's the hope for lost sinners, salvation for sinners. In Luke 4, Jesus said that he was sent for the purpose of preaching the good news of the kingdom, sent for that purpose. The father sent his son to preach the law and gospel, repentance and faith. Brothers, law and gospel must be preached together for your people to plumb the depths of God's mercy 
and God's grace and God's love. They must come together. One preacher said, quote, religious people often complain that we grace preachers don't discuss repentance sufficiently. It's true. I hardly talk about it. End quote. Seems odd not to preach what was integral to our Lord's preaching ministry. Much preaching today, brothers, it has very little power, if any power at all, very little eternal worth, if any eternal worth at all, because it's not Christ-like preaching. It's not law and gospel preaching. The power of salvation is most certainly not the law. It's in the gospel of the crucified and risen Christ. But without the moral law, sinners are not aware of God's moral demands. They're not aware of their own sin and misery. They're not aware of their desperate need of Christ. And so Christ sounds irrelevant. Christ sounds, or, or Christ sounds relevant for the wrong reasons. Brothers, we must look to Christ not only for our salvation. We must look to Christ for our preaching. As a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully steward God's pulpit, Christ's pulpit. Romans 10, 13, and 17. I love the passage. It's, it shows the essential nature of preaching, the necessity of preaching. Paul writes this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So considering for a moment what scripture says about ordination and elder qualifications, I take Paul to mean that preachers are not self-appointed. They're not self-sent. Uh, sent is passive in the Greek there. Preachers are sent by God by means of the church. And preachers are to preach in order for sinners to hear and sinners to believe and sinners to call upon the Lord for salvation. Paul was clear about the means that God uses to grant people salvation, to grant people faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith and we know that faith alone justifies. Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers by grace alone, through faith alone. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You, brothers, are stewards of the word of Christ. Stewards of the word, of, not the word of the day, not, not the word of pop psychology, not the word of widespread opinion, not the word of culture, the word of Christ. The word of Christ, brothers. And the word of Christ is both law and gospel. Both law and gospel. It's absolute command and it's unmerited grace. It's authoritative imperative and it's comforting indicative. Of course, the word of Christ is gospel, of course, of course, but it's also law. And I think that's what's often missed. Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you are to be faithful, a faithful steward of Christ's pulpit from which he desires you, each of you, to preach the law and the gospel. And don't miss what Paul said about the preciousness 
of faithful preachers. He said, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Brothers, God has graciously put you in a position to preach the whole counsel of God. The pulpit is not your pulpit. It's not my pulpit. It is Christ's pulpit. You are Christ's steward, Christ's servant, Christ's slave in Christ's pulpit. And Christ will give you the grace. And Christ will give you the the spirit to be faithful as you depend on him as you preach. Now, I think too many pulpits across our country are misappropriated to advance the clever ideas of the preacher instead of the powerful truth of the preacher's Christ. As a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully preach the law and gospel for the comfort of your flock and yourself. And yourself, brothers. Steward Christ's pulpit well, brothers. We must be crystal clear about what Christ calls us to preach. If we are not clear, we will misappropriate Christ's pulpit. As a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully preach the law. I think this point might be the one, there might be a little rub here. So hold, hold, hold with me here. <laughs> the law and gospel are distinct but inseparable truths that weave throughout all of Scripture. The law is what God commands us to do. The gospel is what God has done for us. The gospel is what God does for us in Christ. If you confuse and conflate the law and the gospel, your preaching will not be life-giving or comforting. It will be burdensome and it will be tiresome to your people. And very troubling. Martin Luther, Martin Luther rightly said, love this, quote, whoever knows well this art of distinguishing between law and gospel, him place at the head and call him a doctor of Holy Scripture. We must know the difference between law and gospel as we interpret uh, uh, and preach God's word. Why? Again, Martin Luther is helpful. He said this, this place Touching the difference between the law and the gospel is very necessary to be known, for it containeth the sum of all Christian doctrine. End quote. Luther believed that the sum of all Christian doctrine was in law and gospel and distinguishing the two. Uh, one celebrated Dutch theologian, I like Dutch theologians, they said this. The churches of the Reformation from the very beginning distinguished between the law and the gospel as the two parts of the word of God as the means of grace. There is law and gospel in the Old Testament and there is law and gospel in the New. The law comprises everything in scripture which is a revelation of God's will in the form of command or prohibition. While the gospel embraces everything, whether it be in the Old Testament or in the New, that pertains to the work of reconciliation and that proclaims the seeking and redeeming love of God in Christ Jesus. So as you study the pages of your Bible, you can, can you, differentiate between the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel in both testaments running throughout the entirety of scripture. And do you know the necessity and do you know the benefit of both? I'm not saying preach the moral law as the means of salvation. I'm not saying preach the moral law to burden your people with works righteousness. 
Paul was unmistakable. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm simply encouraging you to lovingly preach the moral law to help your people understand their sin and misery and their unfathomable need of Christ. I'm saying what Paul said in Romans 7, 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Make sure that you, that your preaching is focused in part in lovingly and gently, but firmly and directly helping your people recognize their sin and their need of Jesus Christ. Uh, a former mega church pastor, you probably know his name, he once said that he doesn't need to tell people that they're sinners. They already know. But the overwhelming opinion on the street, in my experience, what I see all over the place is that people think and assume they're essentially good. Not perfect, they won't say that, but they're essentially good, they're good enough. A life preserver. Well, it is irrelevant to someone walking through the woods. Uh, but, but someone drowning in a deep lake vigorously clings to the preserver. As difficult as preaching is, uh, keep in mind they persecuted and killed the prophets and the apostles. Preaching's hard work. It's intimidating. God is calling you, brothers, to lovingly preach the law in order to help your listeners grasp the mercy, grace, and love and comfort of Christ. Please remember that Jesus said, he who is forgiven little loves little. But brothers, if all that we preach is law, if all that we preach is love God and love your neighbor, if that's, if that's, the, if that's our message, we will crush our people with guilt, crush them with anxiety, crush them with fear, or we'll just lead them deeper into their own self-righteousness. We must also give their sick souls the healing salve of the gospel. As a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully preach the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. As much as they need to hear it, the law isn't good news for sinners, nor is it life-giving. Paul said, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Jesus Christ is salvation. Jesus Christ is life. It's the gospel of Christ crucified and risen. That's power. That's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It's hard to preach law. It is. And you might feel a tension inside of you as I'm talking about God's moral law. Is it any easier to preach the gospel? The gospel itself is offensive to the sensibilities of self-righteous sinners who find the cross ridiculous and irrelevant. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. If you preach the glory of the cross, the comfort of the cross, the redemption of the cross clearly and faithfully and expositionally, many people will find your preaching completely ridiculous and irrelevant. And unnerving. But Paul said, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified. Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Is that in here? Earlier, I read, I read Acts 10, 34 through uh, 43. Peter was preaching. He preached about fearing God and doing what is right. He preached about the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. He preached about the anointing, power, righteousness, good deeds, healing, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. And then Peter said, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Christ will judge the living and the dead, brothers. Christ is the forgiveness of sins for those who believe. We must preach this. God has entrusted you with a sacred position, a sacred pulpit. A sacred classroom, if you will, where people actually come <laughs> to listen to you and me. Will they come and find life and comfort for their souls in your proclamation of the crucified and risen Christ? Will you feed them the comfort that they need to have joy when they're lying in their hospice bed? Give them the cross. Give them comfort. Give them Christ. As a preacher, God is calling you to preach the law and gospel for your flock's comfort in life and death. One of the greatest and most comforting works, in, in my opinion, that has ever been penned by anyone is the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, Unbelievable. Love the way it's framed with the comfort of the believer in mind. It's actually the fourth most widely distributed book of history behind the Bible, the imitation of Christ and Pilgrim's Progress. And it's deeply comforting. And the, the famous first question asks this, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is, is salve for sick souls, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's salve for sick souls. That's comfort for those who trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord. You know what? Funny jokes have their place. They do. But they don't get people through the dark nights of the soul. That's good. Compelling anecdotes from your life, they have their place. They can be very, very useful, but they can't give someone true hope in their anxiety, in their depression. Only Christ is sufficient for his people's deepest soul needs. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, is like a mirror. God's righteousness and holiness reflected, uh, reflect in the law. And as your people look into this law, 
they see their sin and need and they hunger for Christ. You must give them Christ. But as you do, and as they believe the law and the gospel, the law then serves them in another way. Through his moral law, God tenderly and lovingly instructs his children in the way to go, the way of righteousness, the way of godliness. We could say the way of Christ. Give your people Christ, but also give them the way of Christ presented in the law. Remember, Christ lived the moral law perfectly for his people. Some people want to set the Ten Commandments against the commandments of Jesus. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Because Christ came to fulfill the moral law for you and me, to live how God wants a human being to live. That's our Christ. If you eat food, but you don't drink water, all right, you might die in a, in a few days. And if you drink water, and but you don't drink any food, you might die in, in uh, you're probably going to die in a few weeks. In order to live with vitality, you need to eat food and drink water. And in a similar way, believers need a steady diet of the law and the gospel. Law and gospel preaching in order to live Christian lives, healthy Christian lives. Law without gospel or gospel without law is dangerous for the soul. Earlier I read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul charged Timothy, preach the word. And then he used, very interestingly, the words reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Can those things, brothers, be done without the moral law? I don't know what we're talking about. I don't know how to do that. And Paul added, with complete patience and teaching. We're not pistol whipping people. We're, we're patient. We're kind. We're gentle. We're loving as we teach. But why? Why preach the word? Why reprove, rebuke, and exhort people? That's hard to do. People don't like that. Why? Well, Paul explained why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Very interestingly, Paul didn't say people will not endure sound teaching, so change the message to please the people. The very reason why Char uh, Paul charged Timothy to preach the word, which includes law and gospel, is precisely because people will seek out teachers to tickle their ears. And they will sadly, very sadly, we watch them do it, we grieve, wander off into myths to their own destruction. Brothers, that's why you must faithfully preach the law and gospel for the life and comfort of your flock. You must love them enough to preach the whole counsel of God. Now, I imagine that you desire your people to, to have true and lasting comfort in life and in death in Christ. I think we want that for our people, the kind of comfort that, that I think Heidelberg effectively describes. And if you truly want them to have comfort for their souls in life and in death. You must preach to them three simple things that kind of grabs what I'm trying to say here, which Heidelberg too explains. 
Um, Heidelberg 2 asks, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? The comfort Heidelberg 1 describes. And the answer is simple, but it's profound. It can be summarized in three simple words. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Here's what your people need to know to have true comfort in belonging to Christ. First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. If you preach and you help your people, your preaching helps your people understand guilt, grace, gratitude, brothers, you will have served your people very, very well to the glory of God. Give them the Ten Commandments so they know the greatness of their sins and misery. Give them the gospel of Christ crucified and risen and the righteousness that comes by grace alone through faith alone and help them understand how Christ alone is their deliverance. And give them God's moral law so that they know how to express their thankfulness to God. How they, so that they can be educated to know what love God and love others looks like so that they know as a preacher, God is calling you to faithfully preach the law and gospel for the comfort of your flock. But it's not just for the comfort of your flock. It's for your comfort, dear brothers. You need the comfort of what you preach. As a preacher, God is calling you to preach the law and gospel for your own comfort. You can't shortcut it. You need it. Uh, through, uh, though you are preaching, though you're the one standing up, though you're the one giving voice to God's word. What, a, what an unbelievable calling that is, brothers. Though you are teaching, though you are shepherding, though you are counseling, dear brothers, you need the law and gospel yourself. You need to know how great your sins and misery are. You need to know how Christ has delivered you from all your sins and misery. You need to know what gratitude looks like as you express your love for God by obeying his commandments through joyful obedience. I used to be in sales and um, I struggled because I didn't really believe in, in what I was selling. That, that's a problem. But, but uh, the best salesman, if you've had, had uh, any sales experience, you know, the best salesmen wholeheartedly believe in what they're selling. And I would go a step further to say many actually benefit from what they're selling themselves. You will be a different kind of preacher, brothers, if you preach with passion and conviction that which you know you desperately need and have in Christ alone. Give your people what you know you need. Preach the law and gospel and listen to yourself so that you can find true and lasting comfort for your soul in life and in death and as you preach. You know, it, it, as you preach, you know, there's a dynamic happening in that pulpit as you're proclaiming God's word. And sometimes you can be overwhelmed by how much you need exactly what you're saying and how Christ's grace and comfort is for you in that moment of preaching when you face Monday and you get rocked by your own sin and you say, am I even saved? And I'm the preacher. <laughs> I need Christ. You must give them what you know you need. I think sometimes we forget that we too need our preaching. Mm -hmm. 
We too should listen to it. As a preacher, you need to hear the Ten Commandments for the benefit of your soul. I would suggest it should be in your liturgy. You need, as a preacher, to hear the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for the benefit of your soul. You need both law and gospel to find true and deep and unwavering comfort in Christ. Brothers, our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to Christ. That's all that we have. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. The more we depend on Christ, the more thankful for we are for Christ, the better we will preach Christ. Dear brothers, as a preacher, God is calling you to preach the law and gospel for the comfort of your flock and for your comfort. So I'd like to, uh, to pray for us. We have a mountain to climb. And Christ is a good Savior, so let me pray for you, brothers. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are on earth, you are in heaven, you are transcendent. We need your grace and your mercy. How on earth are we going to be pastors and preachers and shepherds with any amount of effectiveness if we are not entirely dependent on your grace and spirit? And so we pray uh, together that your Holy Spirit would would fill us as preachers of the law and gospel and that you would help us recognize the sacredness of our calling and our pulpits. It's not our pulpit, it's Christ's pulpit. And so help us to steward it well and help us to give our people exactly what they need, the law to expose their sin and misery, the gospel to give them Christ and comfort and grace and peace and hope and promise, and forgiveness, and justification, and sanctification, and glorification, all the promises, and and help us to give them the law as this wonderful tool to instruct us in godliness, so that they can know how to live for you, Mm -hmm. because we all need your help doing that to know what, what to do. I pray a blessing upon my brothers as they serve their churches and their people, help them to be selfless, to sacrifice, to put their they're everything on the line for their people to, to literally be willing to die for their people. And Father, that we would be the under shepherds that love and care as you've called us to do, only wanting to model what the chief shepherd does. I pray that you would encourage my brothers that they would not lose heart when they look out and the congregation is not paying attention, that they would press in and trust in your sovereign grace that they would not grow discouraged, that they would not lose heart, that they would not give up, but they, they would keep on trusting in your means of grace, trusting that you will do what you want to accomplish because you are the Lord and you alone can save. We want to be servants, slaves in the pulpit, slaves of Christ, slaves of God, slaves of righteousness. So help my brothers, help me to be faithful in your pulpit. Give us strength, give us grace, give us the spirit and bless what we do. Bless the ministries, Uh, make them faithful. When we are faithless, Christ remains faithful. So help us to be faithful. Uh, Give us that great fruit of the spirit, all of them, God, that we can love our sheep well. Thank you for this high calling. Thank you for this group and encourage them on this day. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. I really struggle with the sermon preparation process. And so I went back to my roots and I got a copy of Dennis J. Pruto's book, So Pastor, What's Your Point? I went back to my roots uh, at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary where uh, Dr. Pruto taught me preaching. And I recommend that you grab a copy of this book. I think it will greatly help you. No, I'm not getting paid to say this. I'm just really benefiting from reviewing what I learned in seminary. Would you check it out? I think it will benefit you.